Well, hey, good morning. Uh, my name is Brad. Um, I am a pastor out at River City Church uh, in Grand Rapids, a church that Riverview uh, helped plant uh, what it feels like eons ago now. Uh, first things first, uh, if you're a kiddo who's going to Verge, you can go. You can leave. I'm going to make some jokes for a second, so don't feel weird that you're moving. But if you're a kid who's heading out to Verge, feel free to do that. Um, actually, when I uh, was around Riverview more, um, one of my uh, roles here was to help oversee uh, the Riv Kids and uh, kind of other youth ministry stuff. So I, I, I'm just happy that I got to say something about it. So that was uh, just fun for me. Uh, Man, we've gotten over a lot of like heavy stuff this morning, haven't we? Like really cool to see uh, Eric, who's somebody that I love. Uh, man, I was moved seeing what happened uh, out here and across the state this week with schools. And, and, and now you got me up here. And so I'm trying to think about like, how do I introduce myself after all of this? Um, when I worked here uh, and left, Eric took my office. So um, that's probably pretty hard for him to leave. Uh, <laughs> getting to have an honored space like that. Um, so thanks for taking care of that, Eric. Uh, no, really, really appreciate him. And, and just really good to be back here uh, with uh, you all. Um, I'm not sure how many of you uh, know me. Um, as I've been walking around this morning seeing people that I know, I've been thinking like, man, they look a lot older than they looked before. <laughs> and then I like went to the bathroom, was washing my hands. And I was like, oh, shoot. I look a lot older than I used to look, and it really came full circle for me in that moment. Uh, we've been in Grand Rapids um, now for uh, about five years. Uh, uh, been gone from Riverview for about six, as we kind of took a year to prepare for that. And, and man, what 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 an awesome and and difficult time at the same time it's been. Right? It's been really uh, great to see how God worked uh, to start uh, a new church in Grand Rapids that He wanted to start. Um, I, I found out probably too slowly that that wasn't the same as maybe the church that I thought I was going to be a part of starting, but it's been really cool to see how God has done that. And so uh, I don't know how much to tell you about me. Um, I have a cut on my finger and you're like, that's probably from like working on an engine um, or something really manly. Um, actually, I was like cutting a garnish for a fancy drink. I was going to brulee a slice of orange and the orange was kind of old. Like we probably should have just gotten rid of it. Um, and the knife slipped and I cut myself pretty good and kind of just wrecked my whole night. And so I think that's enough about me. Um, <laughs> passionate, thrifty, a little pretentious in an off-putting way. Um, I'm Brad. Nice to be here. Uh, another thing about me, uh, lived in Chicago for a, a while. That's where I went to school for college, met my wife, Sarah. We now have four kids now. And like a lot of people in college, I had kind of this scrappy season uh, where just to make extra cash, I would kind of take any job that was given to me. And so I worked um, as a server for catering for a while, and that was really scary and hard. And then I got this awesome gig um, passing out flyers on the street in Chicago. Um, so in Chicago, there's this area known as the Furniture District, and they uh, both like reclaim antiques and restore them, as well as make really, really high-end furniture. And this is one of those businesses where you really just need a couple sales to make it because the stuff is so expensive. And so they would pay uh, a group of us uh, nice, clean-cut college guys and gals to head out onto the street and to pass out maps uh, to people to say, hey, maybe you today aren't just looking to go to the Apple store. You also want to look at chairs. Um, I wasn't very good at this, as you can tell. Um, and this was a really interesting experience because it, it, it exposed me to something really, really difficult, which was like bitter, bitter rejection. 
I don't know if you've ever tried to hand somebody something they don't want. They are not nice back to you. Especially just like on the street in Michigan Avenue, people are getting shoved around. It's a little bit chilly, but this was our job for like 12 bucks an hour, which back then felt like millions. Um, It was a lot. And we would pass out these flyers and just get rejected over and over again. You're just trying to get a couple in a few people's hands so maybe somebody would wander into the store and they would think that it was worth it. Um, The start of where we're at in the book of Mark today is, is all about rejection. Um, It's about what happens sometimes even to Jesus himself, as we just heard, read from Mark 6, 1 through 6, when when he was rejected in his hometown. And we're going to hear more about what it means uh, for the followers of Jesus in, in the Bible and us as followers of Jesus to sometimes experience rejection. Uh, So Mark 6, uh, verse 1 is where we're going to pick it up. We'll read through this again, and then we'll chat for a few minutes, okay? Uh, He left there and came back to his hometown, and his disciples followed him. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished. Where did this man get these things, they said? What is this wisdom that's been given to him, and how are these miracles performed by his hands? Isn't this the carpenter? The son of Mary and the brother of James and and Joses and Judas and Simon and and aren't his sisters here with us? So they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown, among his relatives and in his household. And he was not able to do a miracle there except that he laid hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he was amazed at their unbelief. He was going around the village just teaching. Jesus traveled back to Nazareth, his hometown, and has this opportunity, and he's rejected. This is, this is a, to me, kind of a crazy story uh, to hear about this happening to Jesus, right? Because when we think about Jesus, it, by this point in the book of Mark, he's really picking up steam in his ministry, isn't he? Like wherever he goes, people are flooding out to see him. He's starting to have crowds of people that are following him. He has the disciples and he's been training them for a while. And now he has this opportunity to go back home to teach where he came from. And he comes into town and he starts teaching. He even does a couple of miraculous things, right? And people are like sitting back on their heels like, isn't that Joe's kid? Right? Who, who the heck does he think he is? Joe's kid gonna come in here and tell me how to live my life. That's how I imagine it. It's like in Boston or something. I don't know. Uh, the text is interesting because it says like Jesus was not able to do a miracle there. And, and I think what uh, Mark is getting at when he writes this is not that Jesus's power was limited in some way, because we know that couldn't be true. Um, not that Jesus even didn't want to do a miracle, but, but that Jesus, as he in, in this perfect like sink that Jesus has with God, the Holy Spirit, that he knew that this town in this moment was not conducive to being given this display of Jesus as the son of God. Um, I love that the text says like, he didn't do any miracles there. I mean, he healed a couple people, but... <laughs> None of the big ones, right? Like life-changing moment if I heal somebody, right? Like this is, this is big news. This isn't, I didn't do any miracles. This is like, whoa, I got powers, right? For Jesus, he didn't do anything crazy. He just healed a couple people. Jesus goes to his hometown and he's rejected. And it's fun to laugh about this for a minute, but like, uh, do you guys ever think about the fact that Jesus was like really God in human flesh? 
And so in this, in this merger between him being 100% God and 100% man, uh, that he had feelings, that he experienced disappointments, that some things were painful for him. I think about that a lot when I read this story. Um, Jesus goes home. Uh, this means that likely, like, it wasn't just people he knew from the town. Like, it says here, like, aunts and uncles. He's around his relatives. And he wants to bring this news of God's love and desire uh, to have them see Jesus, the Messiah who was promised. And what happens? He's rejected. He's given no honor. I take a lot of comfort, like solace, in these little pictures in the book of Mark of the humanity of Christ. As we're going to talk about here in a minute, um, one of the things that Mark does, maybe you've noticed this as you've been going through the book, um, is he tends to give pictures of what happened to Jesus uh, that are explicit proclamations to the disciples that this is probably going to happen to you too. I think one of the reasons that Mark jumps around so much that we see so many little vignettes that like it seems to have this pace to it is Mark is trying to give us little windows into what we can expect as followers of Jesus. And as you've also probably noticed, uh, they don't always do a great job, right? They say a lot of dumb things. We'll see some dumb things today that the disciples say. But, but just in this moment, think about the humanity of Christ. That as we talk about the rejection that may come your way, that Jesus was one who felt rejection. Who had a group of people look at him, the son of God, and think, what he has to say really doesn't matter. Pick it up at verse 7. He summoned the 12 and he began to send them out in pairs and he gave them authority over unclean spirits. He instructed them to take nothing for the road except for a staff, no bread, no traveling bag, no money on their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on an extra shirt. He said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that place. If any place does not welcome you or listen to you, when you leave, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and they preached that people should repent. They drove out many demons and anointed many sick people with oil and healed them. Uh, Jesus now does something really unique in his ministry is that he takes these disciples, these followers of Jesus who have been observing him, who have been seeing these displays of his power, who have been spending time with him, hearing his stories and his parables, who are being told time and time again who Jesus is, and he sends them out. And how does he send them out? If you're paying attention, he sends them out in pairs. He sends them out together to do ministry. Now, I love this little detail that Mark includes that when the disciples are sent out to do their first work, they're not sent out alone, right? The intention for you as a missionary to your community, right? As someone sent out to tell other people about who Jesus is and what he has done is that you would do it in community with other people. Jesus clearly knows from both the experience he's just had and the way that he instructs them that part of their carrying out of the message of the gospel, of calling people to who Jesus was, even though they didn't even have a full picture yet of what Jesus was going to do or how he was going to play out in front of their eyes as this Messiah who would suffer, die, and rise again, he sends them out in pairs knowing that they're going to experience some hardship, 
that they're going to need to lean on each other, and that they're going to need to share their lives with one another. I think that is a great principle for you to think about how you might do ministry in the context in which God has placed you. You're probably not supposed to do it alone. Okay? If like the very disciples of Jesus who were at his side, he didn't just give like full carte blanche to go out and just handle it. He says, bring a buddy because it's going to be hard. Maybe you're not supposed to be doing it alone either. And so when you think about like the communities that you're a part of, maybe, maybe you serve here at Riverview on a team of some sort. Man, would you see those people as people that you're supposed to do ministry with? Might you encourage one another? Might you share in the hardships of one another? Might you like lift each other up? Maybe, maybe you want to like reach out to your neighbors and you're trying to figure out like, how do I bring my neighbors together? Man, maybe you throw a party and you don't put it all on you, but you bring somebody there. Maybe you've got a great house with a big backyard, right? But you're not very friendly, okay? <laughs> like you're good at lawns, but you're not good at guys, okay? Man, maybe you have a friend that you can partner with. Maybe you have someone that can be a part of your life that can add to what you're doing, that you can go out in teams trying to address the fact that there are people all around you who don't know yet who Jesus is. That's exactly what he tells them to do. He says, you go in all the towns and villages around here. And he says something uh, crazy to them if you're a disciple, right? He's like, take nothing with you. And they're like, yeah, cool. I mean, we'll pack like just a roller bag, right? Like a carry-on. He's like, no, this is spirit air, man. Like (laughs) you get to bring nothing. Uh, you can't bring an extra shirt. That's $35. I uh, can't bring any food. TSI will take that right away. That might be dangerous. You bring nothing. Bring a stick. Like, I don't know if that part was a joke or they had bad knees, but he's like, you just bring a staff, okay? Right? Probably not. Probably a little bit of an allusion to the way that God has worked uh, through other people in the Bible who were sent out who had a staff or a rod. Firm thing to lean on. Probably that, but also a funny joke, Okay. <laughs> So don't bring anything. Don't bring any money. And and then he says this really crucial thing in here, right? He says, because wherever you go, wherever you go, stay there, stay in someone's home, and they will take care of you until you leave that place. And he says, if that doesn't happen, then you just go. Okay, what's he saying here? Now, is this supposed to be like uh, telling them like, hey, shame those households? Um, Is he trying to say like, be upset or mean when you're rejected? He's saying, no, you're going to go through life on mission, right? You're gonna walk through the world knowing that you are sent into it to tell other people about Jesus and some places you're gonna go and God is gonna clearly have provided for you to be there. And if that happens, you should stay there, right? You should stay there. If you get there and there's like a lady and she's like, I just made a lasagna, right? Hang, okay? Like God has provided for you to do ministry here. If you go somewhere and somebody's like, we got turkey burgers, go. (laughs) Shake the dust off your feet and move on, okay? The Lord is not with you, okay? (sighs) he, He tells them this. And he provides with them a really simple way to decide where they're supposed to go. I don't know about you, but I like pine all the time over like what I'm supposed to do in life, right? What does God want for me? What sign is he sending me? Man, sometimes God just provides for what you need, where you need it, and you stay there. You're not looking to be taken somewhere else. You're not questioning like, how will I know how long? It's like, well, God will provide for you where he wants you to be. And then if he doesn't, you're gonna have to go elsewhere because you're gonna have to find sustenance for yourself. And that's gonna be a part of how God guides you and places you exactly where he wants you to carry the message of the gospel. 
But man, doesn't this involve you seeing that as your primary and core purpose? That you would go, that you would follow where the Lord would take you. Whether that's as dramatic as traveling around a region like these people were, or whether that's just in your daily interactions with other people and deciding like, man, where are the people that want to talk to me? Like, where are the conversations that don't start? Where's that person that like, seems like every time we ask them to come out, hang out, they hang out with us? Well, I think, friend, maybe God is providing an avenue for which you could do ministry and connect with somewhere else. He's providing it. He's putting it right in front of your eyes. So he gives them this rubric. He says, hey, go out. And he warns them in a sense, like he says, some places there's gonna be acceptance, some places there's gonna be provision, and some places there's going to be great Rejection. Now, we're not going to read this next section starting at verse 14, but if you were to skim it or you spend some time in it this week, uh, what Jesus is really, uh, or what, what Mark's going to do here is he's going to give you a picture of sometimes the extremity of the rejection that might take place for the followers of Jesus. And the way he's going to do that is he's going to tell the story of John the Baptist who we've come to know in this story and his death giving this kind of grim picture in this moment, also giving us a little bit of foreshadowing of what will happen to Christ himself, making this point that as believers, we ought to, as followers of Jesus, prepare ourselves to sometimes be rejected. We are wise to prepare our hearts for rejection to not assume that we will always receive a warm response to our faith in Jesus. This is in particular true for us uh, in the age in which we live right now, isn't it? Now, I, don't, I think you are a little bit dangerous if you try and pretend it's like way more true, but I think there is a uniqueness to which we have had and become accustomed to living in a society in which Christianity was uh, predominant. If you're, if you're from America, if you're from Michigan, uh, West Central Michigan, like this is probably something that you've known to be true and you're probably seeing that shifting and changing. And that means, friend, you probably have to prepare your heart more than you used to have to prepare your heart for rejection. You have to have a buddy. You have to have a friend. You have to have a community around you to remind you of who Jesus is, that he will provide, that he will guide, that he will bless the transmission of the gospel through both your word and your actions. Jesus said, sometimes it's going to be hard. That just like Jesus was rejected, often followers of Jesus will receive rejection. So what do we do with this, right? Like, how do we keep moving forward? When, when we go from town to town, and sometimes maybe it feels like I'm going place to place, and it's just shut door, shut door. No one wants to offer me this hospitality. I don't see the clear pathway. How do we find peace for our hearts? Pick it up in verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. For many people were coming and going and they didn't even have time to eat. And so they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them and they ran on foot from all the towns that arrived ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples approached him and they said, this place is deserted and it's already late. Send them away so that they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. You give them something to eat, he responded. 
They said to him, should we go and buy 200 denarii's worth of bread and give them something to eat? He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. When they found out, they said five and two fish. And then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the open green grass. And so they sat down in groups of hundreds and fifties. And he took the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. He also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was satisfied. They picked up 12 baskets full of bread and fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were 5,000 men. And so the disciples come back after their journey out to preach the gospel. Uh, And and a few things are important to note as we jump right into this before we get to like the exciting part of the exploding bread. I know you're you're wanting to get there. You're like, this is the story I know. Okay, we'll get there. Okay. What does Jesus say the disciples ought to do after returning from ministry? Rest. It says, hey, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest for a while. What does this remind you of? It reminds me of when Jesus went out into the wilderness, right? It reminds me a lot of that of this principle that Jesus' ministry has just begun and he goes out to be alone. Now, when we think about that story, I think we often think about it as Jesus like going off into like a rough area to fight off a tiger or something. Like he's going into like a tumultuous place and we do see like uh, Jesus experienced the temptation of the devil. And so there is this element uh, of that story of Jesus going off in that instance that maybe we think of as negative. But in reality, if, you, if you'll pay attention to this in the book of Mark and the other gospels, look how frequently it says that Jesus went out and, and was alone. And almost always when it says that, it's using some form of that word like wilderness or desolate or deserted place. Jesus, in his ministry as the son of God, often took breaks to go out to the deserted place. Why? To be strengthened by God the Father. And so this is what he teaches the disciples. He says, you've just been out. And some things have gone really well. You've gone to some homes and you've been welcomed with open arms. You've gone to other places and you've been spit on and rejected. And so now let's go away to a remote place and let's be with God the Father together. He instructs them in this form of ministry and living. And so, uh, friend, I would just say to you, like, is there a pattern in your life of returning to God for seasons and times regularly of refreshment that you might be fueled for the ministry to which you've been called? Or is your life just frenetic? Do you just bounce from thing to thing? Um, Is there any day, space, hour in your week which is just slow? Maybe painfully slow. And if like you, like me, live in the TikTok world of 15 second attention spans, that's gonna be hard, right? I think about this with like what it means to connect with God and what it means to take time and, and slowness and reflection, whether that's prayer or, or reading the word of God or like spending real time with real people. And I just think how difficult that is that now in our pocket, there is a device that can literally show me whatever I want, even when I don't know what I want. How beautiful and how terrifying, right? Are you building into your life small moments to be restored by the Father that he might continue to work and use you? Because this is the principle that Jesus is teaching his disciples is that that after seasons of ministry, rest is required. 
Like you, you believer, you follower of Jesus, you should be doing enough ministry, okay, to tire you. You should feel a little worn out. Or maybe this isn't a huge part of who you are right now. And that's okay. Like, hear me out here. Like, this isn't coming down on you. But the pattern that Jesus establishes is that in our lives, as we seek to to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is to the world around us, that occasionally it's going to be so hard that we need a little rest. And so that's what Jesus goes to do. He goes to rest with these people, but something amazing happens. And I think that the reason for the order of this story is that important is that we see all these people kind of come out of the woodwork uh, to find Jesus. Now, people were following Jesus before, but what I think is happening here is we are seeing some of the fruit of the disciples ministry, right? Why are there so many people coming to try and come and find Jesus now at this moment? I think it's because they've heard about them from the disciples that went out to share the good news of Jesus. And they're like, yeah, let's find this guy, right? So even though they get on this boat and they're trying to find this remote place, these people follow to find this Jesus and to hear more about him. And what does Jesus have towards these people? Compassion. Jesus, even though he is dead set on jumping into his recliner and taking a rest, you're like, that's not funny. That's it. No, Jesus is human. He's ready to rest, but he hears that people want to meet him and he feels compassion. It overrides that humanity in him for a moment. It allows him uh, for this small moment to say, I-, I will address and serve them and have, he cuts his rest short and he goes to teach the people. He teaches the people and he teaches them so long that it gets late into the day and no one has had anything to eat. And so the disciples come to Jesus and they're like, people are getting hangry out here. We might want to cut this off before 7-Eleven closes in town. Okay? Like, I love that the disciples, and this is something we see a lot in the book of Mark, like Jesus is having a spiritual moment and then like his accountant or administrator shows up and be like, hey, Jesus, I know ministry is going well, but like, have you seen the time? Right? It's getting late. Shouldn't we let these people go find something to eat before like something shifts or changes here? Shouldn't we wrap it up for the day? And Jesus says, you feed them. Okay? <laughs> if I'm like, if I'm like Peter, I'm like, I don't want to feed them. I can't cook, right? So you feed them. Now, Jesus does something to hear that you're going to see him do a lot. Jesus Ask the disciples frequently do thing, to do things that they immediately say we can't. And then he often says something that seems a little cutting or harsh, right? He often speaks a little quickly or says something that, that you're like, man, what's, what's going on with Jesus here? Like, why is, he, why is he being sharp? Why is he saying like, shouldn't you know this? Shouldn't you do this? I, I think it's this, is that Jesus has spent enough time with the disciples that he expects them to expect things of him, Okay. Jesus has spent enough time with the disciples that he expects them to expect Jesus to be able to do some cool stuff. And Jesus does some really cool stuff here. He says, how many many loaves of bread we got? How many fish do we have? Sit the people down in hundreds and fifties and begin to pass it out. And there's enough. How much is there? Enough that they are satisfied. Not enough to take home for the next day. Not the greatest meal of their life. Satisfaction. He provides what they need. 
so much so there is even some food left over. There, in fact, is more food left over than we would presume that they started with. Jesus works this miracle, and he displays through this, through this miracle to the disciples this power where he feeds 5,000 men, which we're assuming there are probably some kids and women around because this was typical for what was going on with Jesus. So, so I would say upwards, like at least seven, 8,000 people, perhaps way more, are fed from just these few loaves. And Jesus teaches his disciples, I have completely unexplainable power with which to provide for you what you need. Why are these two stories next to each other, including the next that we'll finish with in a moment? It's that perhaps the antidote for our fear of rejection by the world around us is to understand that we have a Savior who will and does provide. Pick it up in verse 45. Immediately, so this is right after this happened, okay? Immediately, he made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side, to Bethsaida. And when he dismissed the crowd, after he said goodbye to them, he went away into the mountain to pray. Well into the night, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw them straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Very early in the morning, he came toward them, walking on the sea and wanted to pass by them. When when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out. Because they all they saw, they saw him and they were terrified. Immediately, he spoke with them and he said, have courage. It is I. Do not be afraid. And then he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased. And they were completely astounded because they had not understood about the loaves. Instead, their hearts were hardened. So Jesus goes off to pray and he says to the disciples, hey, you guys get on the boat, you go to the other side, I'll meet you there. One guy had to be like, uh, how? Got another boat? But whatever. He says, you go, I'll be there in a minute. The disciples go out and they're rowing through the night. Jesus is off praying and Jesus can see that the wind's going in the wrong direction. And so they can't be just carried across the lake easily. And so they're straining at it. It seems he lets lets them go for a while, right? Like they strain till morning. And then in that like eerie dusk of the morning, you picture it with me now, like you've been around a lake in the morning, probably if you're from Michigan, like you've seen uh, the fog kind of hovering over the water. It's very uh, kind of a mystical time of the day, right? And what does Jesus choose to do? He says, well, I'm going to walk out to him, okay? Jesus walks on the water, and their response is, I think, exactly what your response would be, is like, that's a ghost. We're in big trouble, okay, right? They feel worried. They've been struggling and straining to do what Jesus said to do, and they see Jesus, and they think that's a ghost. Uh, Let's back up a couple words, though. What did Jesus want to do He wanted to pass by them. This phrase uh, is a little signal in your brain. One of the reasons that like uh, trying to build like biblical literacy or reading uh, scripture in like large chunks is important is that sometimes in scripture we get little phrases that remind us of other phrases. And I think this is one of those phrases that, that often in the Bible we see this phrase that God was going to pass by. And what does it mean? It means he was going to give a little glimpse of his glory. 
Uh, this reminds me the most of the story of when Moses, uh, who was the people, you know, let my people go, uh, helped get the Jews out of captivity in Egypt. Um, and he is up on the mountaintop with God. And he says, God, would you just show yourself to me? And God tells him like, I can't show myself to you because you would literally cease to exist. It would be so much. It would overtake you. I can't show myself to you. But what I'll do is you go hide behind that rock over there and then I will pass you by and you'll be able to just see the tail end of my glory, just my coattails you will see. And and this is so amazing that when Moses comes down from the mountain, what happens? His face glows, right? Just from seeing the coattails of God. This is the phrase we're seeing here. Jesus wanted to just pass him by. Jesus wanted to give them a little view of his glory. And so he begins to pass by to show them this, that this piece of who he is, to, to give them some insight into his divinity, since they are only really, in some ways, becoming so accustomed to his humanity. And Jesus passes them by and they just freak out. And so Jesus rebukes them. Like he speaks to them, uh, he speaks to them forcefully and he corrects them, although it's not without tenderness. And he says, Don't be afraid. He says, Have courage. It's me. Jesus, Jesus' desire is deep that they would see him in this moment, but they wouldn't just see him, that they would start to know who and what he was. This is why it's connected to the loaves, right? Like why bring in that little line at the end here about the loaves? It says he had not, they had not understood about the loaves. They hadn't understood that Jesus was gonna provide They hadn't seen who the loaves showed them that he was. And so he's going to show them who he is just a little bit in this moment. I think this is a good question for us, and it's really where we'll land today, is that as you walk through the world and you face various forms of rejection, in particular rejection on the account of what you believe, people who think you're not that smart or wise, people who think uh, really negative things about you that are not due, that aren't because you were mean, that aren't because you didn't show love. They just think them about you, perhaps connected to what you believe and think. I think what principally we can understand here is that Jesus wishes for you in those moments to look to him and to actually see him. To see him in his humanity and the rejection that he experienced and then to see the miraculous, unexplainable God power that he wields. That you might then say, I don't have any fear. That you might have courage, not because it wells up in you, but because you see an externalized source in which you can trust that you see something that is beyond the rejection that you are feeling, that is beyond the terrifying moment that you are in, that you see something else. You see a man walking on the water. You see a a miraculous division of provision so that there's more than you ever thought there could be to provide for your needs in that moment, that you see Jesus, and it does a few things. That in this world in which we live, a world that some would call post-Christian, that is not that Christianity is over, but that we're moving out of it being so attached to predominant culture, that in this post-Christian world, that fixing your eyes on a perfect, providing Savior who can sustain you through rejection and suffering that you ought to become accustomed to as a follower of Jesus would give you sustenance. 
that it would unite you with Christ as you would remember that Christ too was rejected, that it would enable your witness knowing that you've been sent out and that Jesus understands what the ministry to which he's called you is and he will provide for it. And lastly, that your dependence on Jesus, that you're viewing him for who he really is, would magnify him. I'm gonna pray. Um, We get to take communion this morning, which is awesome because one of the pictures in communion that I love so much is that in this bread, we think about the connection that we have with Jesus. We think about the unity that we find that he says, this is my body. And then he breaks it up for them and he says, you're one with it now. Let's pray that in the rejection that we experience, in the suffering that we are accustomed to in this life, that we would look to Jesus and really see him as God who provides, enables, and magnifies himself through our unity with him. Let's pray. I thank you for how richly you have provided for us. Oh Lord, I pray now as we come uh, to receive communion, to, to celebrate this thing that the believers all over do. Uh, that, God, it would be a keen reminder for us of your great love, provision, and care. Would we look to you, Jesus, and in seeing Jesus Christ, who is himself God, the risen Savior of the world, that we would find provision for our every single need. In your name we pray. Amen.